We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. This week on the Garage Beers Podcast, it is episode 98, and joining us in the garage this week to talk all things Cavaliers, it is the TV play-by-play voice of the Cavaliers for Bally Sports Ohio, John Michael joins us, he cracks open a cold beer, he talks about his journey to his job now, as well as just how good this Cavaliers team is, and just how good they can be, and so much more, so coming up the driveway, open up your favorite lawn chair, Crack open a cold one and join us for Garage Beers. Welcome on in, everybody, to episode number 98 of the Garage Beers podcast. Go find us online at The Garage Beers on all of your major social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, all of whatever else we could possibly be on. Uh... If you're not following us, hit the follow button. We're a good time. We're a good time on those social medias. Plus, that's how you're going to find out what we got going on with the Garage Beers podcast. Do you need a Garage Beers podcast t-shirt or hat? Find the links and stuff on our social media. You want to know who our special guests are? Get over there on social media to find out. So go follow us on all of those. Uh, And we are always uh, presented, as always, on the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. With you, as always, I'm your host, Michael Keefe, at Garage Beers Mike. And joining me, I've got one of my co-hosts. Uh, we're missing one, but I've got one over on the east side of Cleveland. He is on the porch, freezing his ass off. It's Chad Meyer, Garage Beers Chad. What's up, Chad? Hi. <laughs> you look so cold. Oh, my God. Another week, Mike, of, of me braving the elements and another week of me freezing my nads off. So, uh but I will say this, though. The lighting that I'm under right now makes my eyes look like a terrific shade of baby blue. Look at that. Ah, oh, man. God, I was going to say they look brown. Dreamboat. Just, <laughs> I'm just a dreamboat, Mike. No. Uh, yeah, man. I don't know. It's, 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 it's an exciting week. It's, 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 it's a cold week. I just, I, I just watched. I got inspired. I just watched a documentary called, uh, what is it, like 13 Peaks or 7 Peaks or something, where this guy, like, summited all of these, all of the mountains that are like 7,000 feet, like Everest included. So I'm just inspired. Oh, yeah. I think I might go do that on my summer vacation this week, this summer. So you're probably, we not, go. Gonna, you're probably not going to do that. No, not going to do it, but Please. it's a good idea. 
it's, no. it's, it sounded, it sounds good in my head. Please don't, please don't. We, we need you on this podcast. So no. please don't well, go if, do that. Oh dude. How, Oh, that would be so amazing. If I did it like, Hey, Chad coming to you from the top of Everest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where the Wi-Fi is great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Did you ever watch that documentary? Not to get way off topic, but because you brought this up, do you ever watch that documentary called uh, Free Solo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have never watched anything that I wanted to watch more and less at the same time. I was so stressed out through that whole damn thing because what are you doing? Climbing up <laughs> a 5,000 foot rock with nothing strapped to you. You were scared shitless for the guy, weren't you? I don't even like to climb. Like, I have an eight foot ladder that I don't like to climb. I would rather harness myself into that. And this guy's just like, yeah, I'll, this sheer rock wall, 5,000 feet up. Yeah, I'll do it. No problem. Yeah, yeah I just I got this bag. I just, it was the most tense yeah. thing I have ever experienced in my whole life. I just got this bag of baby powder off my hip. That's really all I need. Oh, yeah. Let me just jam my finger into this crevasse over here. And that should <laughs> that should hold my entire body weight in case something happens. Good grief. Yeah. yeah so yeah, none of he, that. None of that. We need you on the podcast, Chad. And he's a weird dude, too. Like, he just lived in a van with his girlfriend. And his girlfriend is like, I really want to get married one day. and But he's, like, not into it. But I'm still sticking with him. And he's... <laughs> and, and oh, well, he, as he long as goes, I don't fall off this rock wall, we could maybe do that. <laughs> Yeah, and he just goes, yeah, I don't know. She's a great girl, but I'm not really ready. I got, I got, I got more rocks to climb. With, Listen, with no I ropes. like you, but like, <laughs> I like you, but you know, I like, I like Yellowstone better. Yeah, <laughs> this mountain in Yellowstone, I got to climb better. Uh, yeah. So, uh, no, we're not going to talk about rock climbing on this podcast. We're going to get uh, really into some very fun stuff, uh, but. We would also say go follow our buddy uh, Joe Whalen at Garage Beers. Joe, uh, Joey can't be with us tonight. He had some uh, January is a crazy month for him, so he's got some work stuff. So we Joe's hit or miss for the next couple episodes. But uh, Chad and I are holding it down in the fort in the garage tonight, and uh, we're going to just kind of get right into it because we always start with our Garage Beers of the Week, but we've got our special guest tonight. And he's going to join us for our Garage Beers of the Week. So we're going to throw it over to that right now. All right. And now we are very excited. Before we get into our Garage Beers of the Week, our favorite segment of the week, we're going to bring our special guest in because we've heard he is he knows a thing or two about beer. And he's going to join us for our Garage Beers of the Week. Our special guest this week, we are going to talk with him about one of the most exciting things going on in Cleveland sports and, frankly, in the NBA right now which is the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he knows a thing or two about them because he is the play-by-play broadcaster for Valley Sports for the Cleveland Cavaliers. We are very excited to welcome into the garage, John Michael. John, welcome to the Garage Beers podcast. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Chad. I know a little bit more about the Cavs than I do about the beer. I don't oversell the beer thing, but it's a pleasure to join you guys. Happy to be aboard. Well, your, 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 your colleague, your colleague Rafa over there on the broadcast yeah. team, he was he was making some claims about you knowing a thing or two about the beer. Yeah, don't trust anything that guy says. We <laughs> joke that the uh, that the slogan on Spanish radio is anything goes. He can do whatever he wants. During the finals, his, he's friends with Roberto Perez, right? During the finals, yeah. Robert Roberto Perez on. He was the analyst for one of the finals games. You know, just say, hey, come on, hang out. Jeez. Finals, you can work the game. Right? So, La Mega, anything goes when it goes to that. When it comes to that guy, so you know, whatever he says, hey, take a step back. <laughs> I, I, hey, listen, 
Uh, I, we're never sure. And then he started making comments on Twitter. I go, okay, we're going to, we're going to have a good time with John Michael. We are going to have a good time. So John, uh, again, we always do every week. We do our garage beers of the week. We basically just throw it around the horn. We talk about what we're drinking for the episode this week, give it a little review, and then we'll pass it on from there. So because you're our special guest, you get to lead us off. What is your garage beer of the week this week? Well, for me, it depends upon the time of the season. Right. So when it's late November, that's when we start to enjoy the Christmas ales around here. Right. So it's been about what, five or six weeks now of Christmas ales, which I like, but it's about that time when you start to get cinnamoned out. Right. And they're a little bit heavy as well. So we're, we're switching gears. Um, when I came out of college, I worked in Western Pennsylvania and I lived less than a mile from the original Fatheads, which is in Western Pennsylvania. Right. Fatheads Brewery. So now I've moved to Cleveland and our first house that we bought here was within a mile of a Fathead's brewery. And my wife says it's not all that coincidental, but it just happened to be the one that I like the most. Right. So my beer of the week is a Fathead's uh, selection. All right. We're going a little bit, a little bit lighter. We're going with the goggle fogger Hefeweizen. So of course we had to go growler here, glass, not plastic. We're going goggle fogger for my beer of the week and that's a great that is a great beer one of the truly delicious hefeweizens and you can drink a bunch of those not that you have to do that i like i sometimes i find those beers like get my stomach feeling a little weird because they're so weedy and all that but that one is great so goggle goggle fogger great one it's I swear, to god, honey, I swear to god honey i didn't do this on purpose i swear <laughs> to god i didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> right, right just in a, just by just by chance you know, it's funny. I bring up my wife. I used to be an all IPA guy for a while. And I'll explain to you how that happened. I mean, years ago, I used to think IPA tasted like motor oil, right? I said, there's, oh, they're, they're awful. I can't deal with that, right? That's not my, not my thing. So I have two little ones at home. I have an eight-year-old and I have a five-year-old. So when my wife is pregnant for the first time, it's a good husband. I'm like, listen, you're pregnant. You don't have to cook. I'm willing to take you out. You know, we'll go. So we went out to eat all the time and it was great. But all she drank was IPAs. I never touched them, right? But she would say, you know, hey, listen, could you just do me one favor? Could you just order an IPA so I could just have one little sip and then, you know, I could enjoy that? And I said, of course. So I did that and I'd have to, you know, then I'd finish the IPA. And after that, she's like, you know what? Could you, could you just maybe just get one more and try this? So after nine, you know, I drink three of them, right? And I'm sleeping in the car on the way home while she's driving home. I'm happy she got her three sips. <laughs> but after nine months, I couldn't drink anything else. I tried to drink even like Budweiser. I'm like, oh, this tastes. This where's the bite? Like, what's what's going on with this? So I, for years, then it was only IPAs. After the uh, the nine months, where that's about all. I, <laughs> that's about where all I drank. We were out to eat. Yeah, Chad is notorious on this podcast for hating IPAs. Oh, God. and in yeah. the meantime, yeah. I am the IPA guy, and you'll see that in a minute. But Chad, that's going to swing it over to you, though. What is your garage beer of the week this week? Yeah, for me, like for for the most part, it's West Coast IPAs, John, that I can I just can't handle. To me, like to me, a West Coast IPA tastes like if you could like melt down like a taxi cab pine tree a car freshener in a liquid form. Like that's a West Coast IPA in my opinion. But uh, I'm uh, I'm outside, guys, tonight. I'm I'm bearing the cold. You know, I, someone has to live up to the moniker on the show unlike mike to be in the garage be in the elements be in the elements uh but i'm gonna channel my inner beach 
tonight and just go with the Corona light. <laughs> just no, you Corona are light. not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, two things. One, I wasn't able to get to the store, and B, this is just kind of my default domestic beer lately. And uh, yeah, so I'm just going with a simple Corona light tonight, guys. 99 calories, so it's diet drinking. <laughs> Nothing says January in Cleveland like an ice cold Corona light. <laughs> Well, it's kind of warming me up. Like, you, you ever go to that, that that Corona Christmas commercial, that same one that was yes. always like the guy whistling, and then there's the palm tree? Like, I feel like it's not Christmas until I see that commercial. So, I like Corona. Okay, fair. Nobody judges you. We like uh, all beer is good beer. Uh, that's going to bring it to me, and I saw this in the grocery store, and I had to get it. So, we did an episode a while back where we all drank sour beers, and none of us like sour beers. And so it was like a thing we were going to try. We were all doing sour beers. And I got a beer from this brewery called Humble Forager out of Wisconsin. And it was delicious. The sour beer, which I normally wouldn't drink, was fantastic. So I'm in Heinen's today. And I see this beer, which is a double dry hopped honey oat cream triple IPA. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even think I could read that again, let alone say it again. It's called Rugged Outlook. And it is, it's kind of, Chad, I think you'd like this one in that it's not like a West Coast IPA. It's that like, real, look at how thick that looks. It's like a real hazy, hold on, I should show the Garage Beers logo, even though you can't hardly see it on there. Uh, it's, it's a real thick, it's like a milkshake IPA kind of deal. And it is, it's really good. This brewery, I don't know where it came from, Humble Forager, but this brewery, if you see Humble Forager at the store, pick it up. It is delicious. So... We got a Corona. We got Fatheads. Uh, again, if you look at John Michael's Google search history, you'll see where our house is near Fatheads in Cleveland. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we've got Humble Forager here. Those are our garage beers of the week. Uh, and if you're listening, send us your beers that you're drinking this week. If you have any suggestions that you want to hear us try on the show, send them our way. Uh, but to you guys here on the podcast, cheers to you, the listener. Cheers. And now, guys, it's time to get into a little calves. But before we do that, John, we haven't had you on before. And so we like to get to know our guests a little bit. And so we did a little, we did a little research about John Michael. Uh, and, and we've got some, some questions about you first. First of all, you're a Notre Dame guy. You and your wife, were both Notre Dame. you're both Notre Damers, right? Yeah, we, I, uh, I was there for eight years, actually, uh, in lovely South Bend, waiting for a football national championship, which never materialized. But uh, yeah, eight years in frigid South Bend, Indiana, uh, getting a couple of degrees from Notre Dame. So I'm going to let you know, first of all, that's very impressive. Second of all, I'm going to let you know my thoughts, but I want to hear your thoughts. Brian Kelly just leaves Notre Dame, just up and out. See ya. And they promote Marcus Freeman. And I, if I was a Notre Dame fan, and I'm not a Notre Dame fan, but if I was a Notre Dame fan, I would be thrilled. How are you feeling about the state of Notre Dame football with Marcus Freeman at the helm? I have said this a number of times. It was a great day for the program. I don't think there's any question about it. I, I think that it's time to move on. Um, I've, I'm trying to say this, uh, trying to say this the right way. I, I've had my questions, let's say, over the last handful of seasons, uh, the way things were and the way things looked and the way things were handled many times on many occasions. And I think it was a very, very good day for the organization uh, on a number of different levels. Uh, I'm thrilled with where they are right now. I'm thrilled that they gave this young man a chance to succeed. Uh, and I think, I mean, we saw the bowl game. I mean, it wasn't exactly the way, obviously, the other name wanted to go in the second half, but I, I, that's neither here nor there. I, I think it was 
a move that I, without question, love. And I can't. Well, I, I. This sounds sounds a little silly, but this is. I'm, I'm more excited about Notre Dame football moving forward than I have been in years. And it simply is because of the move. If that puts it in perspective for somebody who you know went to Notre Dame for a long, long time, loves Notre Dame football. That's how. That's how big I think this move is for the program. Oh, I, I said like Brian Kelly. If I was imagining Brian Kelly out on a recruiting trip, it, it's like he'd have the personality of Nick Saban without the like pedigree of Nick Saban. And like if he was in my living room and I'm a kid, I'd be like, okay, guy. I feel like I don't know. For me, I feel like if I'm a kid getting ready to come play college football, and Marcus Freeman comes and sits down in my living room, I'm going to be like, I am interested in what this guy has to say. And uh, yeah, I, I think there's good things ahead. Again, I'm not a Notre Dame fan, but I think there's good team, good things ahead for you guys. Yeah, and again, I'm you know doing this cautiously because of course we get to know a number of people at Notre Dame, uh, and and I yeah I, I think it's it's moving in the right direction. I, I love Marcus Freeman, and I think it's you know I think this is something that I want to see over the next couple of years, not just on the field, but you know off season and recruiting and everything else that comes along with. Now, John, you know, speaking of, you know, graduating from Notre Dame, you didn't start out as a broadcaster. You got a law degree, you know, and then you made the transition uh, into broadcasting. Uh, what was that switch like? How did that, tra- well, how did that switch happen for you? Well, I, yeah, you're right. I, I went to uh, law school at Notre Dame and then I started, uh, I'm an attorney. So I, I practiced law, but trial attorney was, well, I am still an attorney. I was a trial attorney. Uh, for over four years in Western Pennsylvania, the largest firm um, in Pittsburgh. And uh, I was in court most of the time, uh, did depositions. But, you know, there was there was something that always pulled at me in terms of sports. I mean, that's all I've ever done. You know, I don't really have any hobbies other than, you know, playing and watching sports. Uh, and just on a whim, I started doing high school football. And that season turned into high school basketball and high school hockey, which became high school baseball. I did some small college work. So while I was practicing law during the day. It was moonlighting a lot of times uh, at night and I fell in love with it. You know, I found something that said, you know, if you can pay me to do this, uh, this is something that I, I want to do the rest of my life. Uh, so I came to a crossroads. I got an offer from a minor league baseball team in Hagerstown, Maryland, single A team, then an affiliate of the San Francisco Giants. Uh, and, I, you know, I said, it's time to roll the dice, uh, which I did. And I've been fortunate and blessed Ever since, you know, that I, the right people heard me at the right time. I went from minor league baseball, to minor league hockey, worked my way up through the hockey ranks. That's what brought me to Cleveland. I was the first voice of the then Lake Erie Monsters, um, which is where Fox Sports Ohio uh, saw what I was doing. They brought me down to work with the Blue Jackets for a couple of years. From there, I came back to the Cavs. So, again, it's been, a, a like I said, a fortunate, a blessed journey. Uh, and one, you know, there's a fine line between aggressiveness and, and stupidity. And I lived right on that line for a long, long time, trying to make it up through the minors. And, uh, like I said, I'm just fortunate and, and blessed that, uh, that I'm sitting here talking to you guys right now as the voice of the cat. No, I'm interested. And I want, I'm, I'm going to hope my wife listens to this. I'm interested. You've been with your wife since Notre Dame, right? That's correct. You, you come out as a trial attorney, right? And then you say, and now listen, Chad and I both worked. I worked full-time in minor league baseball. Chad, I, I, I hired Chad as our PA announcer in minor league baseball. Uh, I know what that probably looked like going from an attorney to single-A minor league baseball. 
Uh, what's the wife have to say about that when you're like, listen, Hagerstown, Maryland, let's do this. Yeah, well, you know, you go overnight from a healthy six figures to under $5,000 for the whole season. If you worked at, hey, if you worked in minor league baseball, you know that it's not just the games either. I mean, you are working all day, every day. You try to figure that out per hour and you're in the ones, right? Yeah. You're in the one or two dollars per hour in terms of for the entire length of the season. She's been great. I mean, she's the all star. I'll be honest, it wasn't, it was a little rocky, right? Like, right when it took place, it wasn't smooth sailing. Uh, I mean, because, you know, through the minors, I go from Hagerstown, Maryland to Johnstown, Pennsylvania. That was my first hockey job with the Johnstown Chiefs, the team, of course, that the cinematic masterpiece Slapshot. Uh, was based upon and and then up to Springfield, uh, Massachusetts, which happens to be the murder capital of Massachusetts, in case you were wondering, and you know, on to, on to Cleveland from there. So it it wasn't uh, it wasn't like a tour of some of the top cities in Europe or something like that. It was we had to grind it out for a while, and like I said, she's been the all star through all of this uh, to be able to put up with me for all these years. Well, of course, you live 20 minutes away from Springfield, right? Like, like there was no living in Springfield at that time? No, no. I was living in Springfield. You know what, you know what's funny? The fir- right when I got there, the GM, I lived, honest to goodness, two blocks away. All right? And the GM said to me, hey, your wife comes in. We have underground parking. You know, just here's the pass. Here's this. Here's that. I said, no, no, no. Don't even. I said, oh, we live two, two blocks. We live a block and a half away. He goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> Drive to the game. <laughs> He's like, no, no, you don't understand. <laughs> She's going to need to drive to the game and park underground. And just, just trust me when I tell you that. <laughs> and yet, oh, that's funny. And yet, in Springfield, Massachusetts, there is one of the most vastly underrated barbecue joints on the planet. It's called Theodore's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you remember that place, but I do indeed. Every time I'm in, <laughs> I'm in Springfield, Massachusetts, which is more than I care to admit. Uh, <laughs> we always got to go to Theodore's. Um, <laughs> So you mentioned, you know, you're the first voice of the Lake Erie, now Cleveland Monsters. Um, you you go on with the with the Blue Jackets. So before we get into basketball a little bit, you're a big hockey guy then, yeah? Sure. Yes. So we do a lot of Blue Jacket stuff here. Uh, uh, you know, what was that like just kind of getting into hockey, getting in with the Blue Jackets, obviously? And uh, have you been paying attention to them this season? Yeah. You know, I, I love, I love hockey. I'm from Western Pennsylvania, right? So there's no NBA team there. Uh, I grew up watching the Penguins and until just a season ago, I had still called more hockey games in my career than I had basketball games in my career, you know, coming up through the minors and, you know, plugging away for those years. So I love hockey. And it's funny, you know, the transition was interesting. I thought that I would miss hockey so much when I moved to the NBA and there are times, yes, when I miss it, but you move into the NBA and now suddenly you have a horse in the race, right? Suddenly you have a team to embrace and you have a, a fan base that's crazy about this team. And, and all of a sudden the NBA is just as fun as the NHL was, you know, and that's something that I, I wasn't anticipating, but that certainly happened. And I, I've loved the NBA ever since fell in love with it, you know, and really from the, from the ground up. From, from square one coming over from the Blue Jackets to the uh, to the Cavs as then the radio voice of the Cavs. Um, Byron Scott was the coach at the time, and the coaching staff was wonderful, and they welcomed me in like family, and it's something I'll never forget. Never forget from, from Byron uh, throughout my entire career, but it, it took off from there, and, and now you know I love the NBA just as much as I love the NHL, and I didn't think coming from a non-NBA city, that that would ever be the case, but it really is. 
Now, speaking of uh, your NBA broadcasting career, John, uh, you had some pretty big shoes to fill in, in your first NBA job. You, you start up there in uh, the late great, and our friend, you know, had, we had him on this podcast, uh, Joe Tate. I, I mean, what what was the pressure like for you, or, or what, or was there any, or wasn't there? Uh, and you know, what was that? What was that transition like for you? Well, first off, I mean, it was an honor. I mean, right. Joe Tate's the voice of the Cavs basically since the team's inception. And they look to be the next guy to do it. I mean, you want to talk about an honor and something that's so humbling. It was just special. You know, you, you, you have to hit the ground running. I was, you know, you don't want to be the guy that follows Brett Favre. You want to be the guy that follows Don Mikowski, right? <laughs> yeah. Who followed Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers uh, in terms of the Cavs. So it, it, like I said, it was an honor. And, and, you know, if you can't get motivated to do this job, you're in the wrong business anyways, right? So, you know, it's not like you need any additional motivation, but it just felt special. And it felt like a privilege in the fact that everybody was so welcoming and kind. And I heard, you know, kind words all the time about what we were doing. And it wasn't the same as Joe. I mean, I'm not, I, obviously, I'm, I'm wildly, my personality is wildly different. I think it's crazy to try to do a game like a Joe Tate or a Vin Scully when you're our age, right? It doesn't make sense to try to regale everybody in stories and everything else. You need your own style. You need to have your own personality. And I think we did that coming in. And I think it was, uh, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm thrilled that it was so well-received and it continues to be so well-received moving from the radio side to the television side as well. Uh, it's, it's a great fan base. I think they love, you know, it's mutual. Like the, the passion for sports is mutual between a broadcaster and his fan base. A lot of times when things work, when there's synergy there. And I feel like that's been the case since the day I stepped foot in Cleveland uh, and it continues to be. So I, I can't say enough good things, not only about the organization, but about these fans, which embrace the team, obviously, but have embraced me and my family as well. Well, and Chad mentioned it. You're, 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 you've had two transitions with the Cavaliers, and they both had to have just been crazy for you. You, you, you have to take over for Joe Tate. <laughs> that, like you said, there, doing that had to have just felt incredible and crazy, and and you must have felt that. And then, and then in 2019, we obviously we had the heartbreaking and sudden passing of, of Fred McLeod, who. Man, it, I remember the days before Fred McLeod, obviously growing up as a Cavs fan and, and listening to guys like Michael Regai and all that, but it got to a point where Fred felt like he'd been there for a hundred years. And he was he felt like family, right? To, to, uh, to, to fans, uh, he felt like family. And so, uh, you know, you obviously had to transition and take that over. Uh, so I guess, uh, you know, what were the conversations like that made them, you know, did they come to you and say, Hey, we want you to move to the TV side. Was that something you were interested in before? And then, and then just, just for a little bit of fun and to bring a smile to everybody's face. I'm sure you got pretty close to Fred over your years of doing the radio broadcast and getting on the road with these guys and all that. Do you have any, uh, maybe a favorite story of Fred from, from working with him and traveling with him and all that? Yeah, it's, it was such a rough spot, I think for all of us. Right. I mean, it was just so, I mean, Again, like you want to, some point in your career, yeah, you want to make the move to television, and you know you want to do that. But like this, you know what I mean, right? I mean, gee whiz, I mean, and, and so it was, so all it was emotional, right, for all of us. But with the timing of it, there was no time to do much of anything at all, you know. And they they, they came to me and they said, you know, basically the conversation effectively was. 
you were our guy all along, but we got to, we got to go. And it was, this is, we're talking a day or so, right? I mean, we're talking hours, right? So we're, nobody had time to digest anything. Uh, you know, we were still emotional and it's, it's a rough spot. And we just had to, we just had to put our head down and go. You know what I always said? I said, when, whenever we'd all get down and start getting a little depressed about what had happened, right? And what had transpired and what he meant to everybody, you know, the thing I kept repeating to myself over and over was, what would he say right now? He would say, stop being a baby and get yourself going. <laughs> hey, season start. They tip off in three weeks. So you better get yourself together. You better get yourself going. You better cover this team and this league that I love so dearly the right way. And we did. You know what? We we rallied and we did. And I, I'm really proud of the job we did under extreme circumstances in that first year, not just from a time perspective, but from an emotional perspective as well. In terms of Fred, I mean, I think anybody who's gotten to know him a little bit, you knew how passionate he was about this team and how passionate he was about the game, but he lived his life like that. I mean, one place you do not want to be with Fred when he's not <laughs> excelling is on the golf course. <laughs> because if you, there are words that you didn't even know, I've been around pro sports for decades. There are words... <laughs> That man said that I didn't even know the words. <laughs> I didn't even know they existed. You would pray that he'd have a good round. Like, please, just please hit the ball. Please go straight. We've been behind him. Like, please go straight. Please let this, <laughs> please don't go into the woods. But he was, I mean, love, you know, such a good guy and so passionate, like I said. And uh, just fun to be around. And it was, yes, it was, it was a, a, a tragic way for this all to begin. But like I said, I'm really proud of the way so many of us banded together. It wasn't just me. It wasn't just Austin. It, there are so many people that have to band together to make a broadcast a good one. You know, and you know this, Chad, and you know too, Mike. I mean, yeah, absolutely. So many things that have to come together to make it work. I'm really proud of the effort that everybody, uh, you know, everybody put in uh, to be able to come out on the other side and at least uh, smile in a little bit. Now, uh, John, I have uh, kind of a broadcasting like nerd out question here <laughs> to, to follow this up. But uh, Mike and I, Mike and I, you know, broadcast high school sports over radio. We, you know, football. You know, uh, I've done a little bit of basketball. Yeah, talk about I've talk done, about you, things never going right. I got to work with Chad once a week, <laughs> yeah, all high school yeah. football season. I, and I've done some, and I've done play by play at the minor league hockey levels. Uh, you know, the CHL. So obviously, I saw about twenty fights a game. Uh, but, um, you, you know, but my question is, what's the transition like, uh, I guess another transition question, but like, how uh, is it more or less difficult to call a game uh, from the radio side, jumping over to the TV side? What kind of adjustments do you have to make? It's a really good question. I thought I knew what the adjustments would be. I've been around TV long enough. I know what this is going to be like. And I was wrong. You know, I radio, you guys know that it's not it's more about where the ball slash puck is, you know, for the, yeah. for the listener to be able to picture the game, it's more important for the listener to know where the ball or the puck is than even who has the ball or the, yeah. and you hear young broadcasters all the time. say, here's Jones over to, and they get all the names and they think they're flying, but the listener can't listener has no concept because they don't know where the ball or the puck is. Right. And it's much more important to say, you know, outside of the face off circle back, right. You know, up to the blue line into the neutral zone so that the, you know, the listener can follow the puck. I thought coming to TV 
that I would have so much more time to tell stories because you have to do so much nuts and bolts during the course of a radio broadcast. Right. And I thought this is great. You don't have you're not it's not even good if you call every pass on a TV broadcast. Right. I'm going to have all this time to tell stories and be laughing and carrying on with AC and everything else. But you get onto a television broadcast and you're ready to tell a story. And here comes replay number one and then replay number two. And Austin hits the replay and the producer's saying, all right, now well, let's get ready. We're going to do, you're going to do a read now between free throw. I didn't have to, I had done with the first three games. I'm like, I didn't tell the same story, right? I was trying to keep up with what I was just trying to keep up. And, you know, it's, it's, you have to get, realize when you can pick your spots, you know? And so that, that transition was very different, even going to break, you know, say, all right, 10 seconds, take us a break in radio. I take a break whenever I want to take a break, right? And I say it's a Cavaliers radio network. And I do that. I'll say the score. I'll do what, you know, if I want to finish something I'm talking about, I'll finish something I'm talking about. And that's the same with radio, too. If I have a good story, you're going to hear that story in the first quarter. I will weave my broadcast into that story somehow (laughs) because I don't, you know, I can do whatever I want. On television, I have to wait for a person to be on camera or ask for that person special to be able to tell a little story, but make sure I have enough time and we're not in the middle of a replay. And it takes a lot of finessing and it takes a lot of getting used to, like, you know, like you'd expect. But reps are very important when you make that transition. So that for me, that was the biggest transition. I tell you what, you talk about doing high school sports. If you can do high school football, you can do any sport, right? I mean, there's a hundred kids out there. There are no shoulder numbers. They're going left or right. You're in a press box where you're sardined in. You know what I mean? Like if you can do that stats, I don't know if you're going to get, you might get some stats, maybe from one team, maybe not the other pronunciations. I don't know. You're asking a coach. The coach doesn't know he's guessing, right? So if you can piece that kind of a broadcast together and do that on a consistent basis, you can do, you can do the NBA, you can do the NHL, right? Where you get all kind of information. That's all we get. So I think that's, that's the kind of thing that puts hair on your chest, right? To me, you can tell the broadcasters at the major league level who have been through the grind in the minors. If you listen carefully, you can figure that out within a quarter or two, you know, which ones have worked their way up through the minors because that's, that's what they had to do to be able to get there. So I think it's hey, keep up the good work is what I'm saying on the high school broadcast and everything else. And I didn't know that about the CHL. There's nothing like a good, I was in the ECHL, nothing like a good CHL or, ECHL line brawl to, to get you accustomed to calling fights. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's, uh, it was some of the more entertaining broadcasts I've ever been on. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> couple, couple of seasons ago, Serge Ibaka went after Marquis Chris, right? And I was on the radio and I called it like, didn't even think much about it. And afterwards, <laughs> one of the was like, oh my gosh, you called that, th- you called every punch. Let's go. I'm like, well, yeah, of course I called every punch in the seat, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, Ibaka grabbing his jersey, Ibaka grabbing his jersey, throwing the jab. (laughs) So they threw him up against the basket support. He's got him around the neck. And (laughs) (laughs) that was unbelievable. Reminded me of of Iron Eagle on that like Monday night or Sunday night football game or whatever that broadcast the squirrel going into the end zone. Uh, so, So you move from some of the best seats in the house in the Joe Tate perch to courtside next to the bench. And there was a replay shot during the game the other night against the Grizzlies. 
that caught you in the background, desperately trying to call the action as J.B. Bickerstaff was standing directly in front of you, and you're like over one shoulder and then over the other shoulder. Do you ever have to nudge the guy and be like, hey, coach, come on, man. Like, we're, I'm trying to call this game. Like, pick anywhere else. It's funny. Like, coach, no. But our so our vantage point at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse is, is an, again, I'm trying to be politically correct here, is an interesting one. I mean, Chad, you've seen it. You've, you've been there. It, it not only is way down by the bench, but it's lower. So the court is elevated, which means that the folks, the fans that are sitting to our left and to our right, not only sit up above us, but when they stand, I basically can't see two thirds of the court to my left. That's before you're dealing with the coach. That's before you're dealing with the players who are checking in, who are going to the scorer's table. So, yeah, and I know it too. And I, Mike and Jeff, I've seen the replays where I'm leaning and I'm, leaning <laughs> and so I'm like, come on. It's a, I know it's embarrassing, but I mean, there's, there's the monitor there too, right? You can't see in the same detail, of course, yeah. as you be able to see live. And then you're switching up and down and it's also, it's also flip-flopped. So it's a little bit to be able to transition that quickly. And, you know, it's, there's no worse feeling than, being there courtside and I've missed, I've missed things that have happened. You know, things that are out of the ordinary, like somebody steals an inbounds pass, something you're not expecting to happen, but because you can't see it, it suddenly gaps have the ball back, you know, so I'm yelling in the, <laughs> to the producer, what happened, what happened, what happened, what happened, you know? So you just have to try to adjust, but yeah, those are, those are tricky. <laughs> That's a tricky vantage point to try to, to try to deal with. I appreciate, appreciate you pointing that out. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean for it to be embarrassing. I just, I knew we were having you out. And then I, I catch this replay and I'm like, you are just, it's like you're climbed up on the desk trying to get a peek over Bickerstaff's shoulder. I'm like, oh, and then, and then, and then there's Tim Alcorn sitting up there, literally the best seats, maybe in the entire arena, the front row of the club level, best vantage point for everything. Uh, yeah, you 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 got to give him a little crap for that. That he gets to he gets. I mean, he's got the easy gig. You, you know what's funny is that the the trend in the NBA is to start moving the TV guys off the floor. All right, so and they say in five or ten years that might be in every arena. Why? In part because they can sell those seats for what five thousand ten thousand dollars a piece, and you total that up over forty one home games, and you know it, it makes economical sense to me from coming from both perspectives. All right. Here's why I think that's difficult on the TV side. All right. On the TV side, everybody sees what's happening. And one of your primary jobs as a broadcaster is if somebody sees something and they instantly don't know what happened, you better be able to tell them what happened really fast or they're going to get frustrated. Right. I mean, watching a television broadcast, that's how that works. So if you're in a basketball game, if you're not down on the floor when somebody is seeing something on the television side, you're at a big disadvantage, okay? Because we can hear a lot of things in terms of the, the officials talking, what players are communicating, what coaches are complaining about. So to me, for the television side, because the viewer is watching the game, I think you have to be down there. I think that's going to be a disservice to viewers should everybody move off the floor. From a radio perspective, good radio guys – don't have to say things immediately if they don't know what's going on on the floor, right? So you take your time, 
you know, you talk about something else, you can then watch the replay while you're engaging your analyst, whatever you need to do. And then 25 seconds later, you can explain what happened on the floor. So I think that you have a little more cushion as a radio broadcaster. And again, I'm saying this from being on both sides that you don't necessarily have to be down there as much as a radio, as a radio broadcaster. I think television to me, it's, it's nearly essential to be able to be down there and relay what's going on. From a viewpoint, would you rather be down on the floor or in some place like Boston, where I hear you're way up in the corner? And yeah, and Boston, well, for radio, I mean, the radio in Boston is hard because you're, you are in the corner and you're low. I mean, there's some places where you're oh, low okay. and in the corner, but in Boston, you're low. So that if you're watching the corner, it's behind the basket support. So again, three points happen from one corner. You can't see. Oh, right? totally. We had a seven-game playoff series a couple of seasons ago, right? Right. I'm praying, like, please don't let somebody she take a big shot from the corner, and you're then you're looking up and down the monitor every time the ball goes in the corner. So it's not they're they're a little a uh, little hurt. I mean, we're not complaining, right? It's like, sure, right? sure. Right, we're broadcasting in the NBA. I don't think uh, you should have too many complaints, but there are some there's some spots that aren't exactly ideal around the NBA circuit. <laughs> All right, so John Michael, we got to know you a little bit, your path to where you are now. Let's let's now talk about the team you are dealing with on a night-in and night-out basis, and that is the biggest and best surprise of the entire NBA season so far, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Very basic question to start, John. Was there any part of you that saw this coming? I think anybody that tells you that they, that they thought that this team was going to start this well – might not be telling you the truth, right? I mean, we saw that there was a core, right? And there was a path for this to happen. You know, you had some pieces to, you know, the supporting cast to be able to help this young core go forward. And there was a method to what had happened over the last couple of seasons. But I mean, Mike and Chad, you look at the first 25 games of the schedule when it came out and everybody, I mean, you know, even, you know, front office folks and coaches, they're looking at the schedule and saying, you got to be kidding me. I mean, the first 25 games, 19 of them were against playoff teams from last season, 22. If you count teams in the play-in tournament, majority of which were on the road. And then, oh, by the way, you lose your leading score, just a handful of games in. And then you lose your backup point guard a couple of weeks later, who had been just a godsend for this team in terms of settling things down. I'm talking about, of course, Colin Sexton and then Ricky Rubio, respectively, and for them to be sitting right now where they are heading into the All-Star break, a top six team in the Eastern Conference has really been special. And I, and I think, guys, the attitude and the chemistry, everything has come together so beautifully. You know, you add Evan Mobley with the third pick overall. I mean, this kid, every single night, you know, he's must-see TV. Um, and to go along with Darius Garland, who's making improvements, you know, the Cavs jumped into the James Harden deal in the middle of last season. They pull out Jared Allen, you know, and make him the center of the future during the offseason. And we're talking about three guys playing at an all-star caliber caliber level. I mean, Jared Allen, name me another center who's better in the East other than perhaps Joel Embiid when he's on the floor. Um, Garland's playing at an all-star level. It's Boy, it's and it's been fun to watch, hasn't it, guys? I mean, the authenticity with which this team gets after it each and every night. I mean, we haven't seen them throw in the towel the whole season. I mean, there are times when they're on the road, they go down 15. It would be easy to fade off into the sunset. They never do that, right? I mean, they play 
for 48 minutes each and every night, no matter who's out there. They've gone through protocol recently, uh, players in and out of the lineup, like all teams in the NBA. But, man, they're they're in a position where they're in good shape going into the All-Star break. They have an important road trip, of course, coming up now where they're going to get tested in a couple of difficult places to play. But, man, I think if you're a Cavs fan, you have to be thrilled, just thrilled with where this basketball team is right now. Yeah, I just, and I just wanted to say, John, you know, I, I'm glad you touched on uh, Mobley uh, because, I mean, obviously we were going to eventually get to him, but, you know, it's it's so rare. I mean, even even for some top picks uh, ever in the NBA to just to just come in and just get it. Like, I, I guess what makes this kid so special? Well, I don't know. If you can bottle it, tell me what it is. <laughs> Teams have tried everything. Right. This kid is completely unflappable. I mean, they throw doubles, triples. They try to rough him up, you know, and again, he, he does things where it, it doesn't even seem to register to him. Right. He just he just does things well. And oh, I just did another good thing. Right. He, I mean, he caught a shot in the air in the Memphis game. He t- it was insane. Three, it was insane. He caught a three point shot out of the air. It, <laughs> right. I mean, the kid's top 10 right now in blocks per game. Almost never blocks the ball out of bounds, which is, you know, it's vitally important for the team being able to go the other way and and capitalize. And he's just been great. And, you know, scorers were out of the lineup. And they said, all right, Evan, we're going to need you to get to your spots, be more aggressive. And immediately, he's just able to do that. Not only gets it mindset-wise to be able to, all right, this is what I need to do. And then he just goes and does it, right? I mean, it's been it's been incredible. Something new each and every game, and I'm not even kidding. But there's he shows you something new each and every game, and he's been a complete joy. I mean, his his, his attitude is perfect. There's a there's a lot of guys you can say that about on this team, and I think that's part of what makes this team so likable, right? I mean, the chemistry is authentic. It's real. You know, there's a lot of times lip service we play for each other. These guys do. They play for each other, mostly young guys. You know, they're they're playing hard each and every night. And it's uh, like I said, boy, it's it's been fun to watch this first half of the season. Well, and, and I know Chad wanted to start with Mobley. I wanted to start with with another guy, and 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 a, a lot of people are talking about Mobley and Garland very well deservedly. So, uh, but you brought it up. Kobe Altman just like snakes his way into this Brooklyn trade, this James Harden trade, not to make him sound bad. I think when you call somebody snake, that maybe sounds bad. That's not what I meant. He just kind of like sneaks into that trade and just like, Hey, you know what? We're just going to pluck Jared Allen. We're just going to pluck him from that deal. And they bring him here and he's been pretty good the last, you know, since he's been here, he's been pretty good. And then they give him a hundred million dollar extension. And it was probably, I would say, 60 to 70% really well received with some like reservations. Like, is this guy, has he shown to be worth a hundred million dollars? Then this season starts the 2021, 2022 season starts. And I think you could have paid him more. Like I think, I think, I think all of a sudden Jared Allen is a bargain. I never, I always knew he had potential to be really good. This is like what he does on a nightly basis. If I don't, if I don't look at the box score, and see Jared Allen with 24 points and 12 to 13 rebounds, I'm like, oh, maybe Jared wasn't feeling so good in that game or something because he just is super consistent. And my favorite thing about him, John, is he's young. Like, Jared Allen is not a finished product. 
there's areas of his game that he can get better at, and he will. Like, I, I just don't know how many times you see a guy get one of those massive deals and immediately live up to it. Yeah, Mike, that, and you hit on it. That, to me, is, is my favorite thing, right? When you see this is the time in a player's career when he might get that big payout, right, after his third or his fourth season. He gets it, and he doesn't exhale and relax and say, I made it. He does the exact opposite which is get immediately into the gym. He was one of the first ones here at Cleveland Clinic Courts during the offseason, and it's shown, you know, and he said, he said, look, what comes with a big deal like this is responsibility. And each and every time he's gone on the floor, he's shown that. And it's been great. Don't forget, by the way, he's shooting 70% from the field, right? And I mean, you know, you want to talk about efficiency, and that's before we've even talked about him anchoring things on defense. Which, oh, by the way, the Cavs are ranked third, third defensively this season. You know, and the Cavs have been bottom six each of the last four years. And by the way, that stretches back to the final year that the Cavs went to the finals. Cavs were bottom six that season as well. So this is a team that even when things were humming along, wasn't exactly lighting things up defensively. Now Allen's back there as the anchor. He's got Mobley beside him. Uh, and another seven-footer, of course, in Markkanen out there on the wing. And it's been a beautiful thing to watch on that defensive end. And, and again, I think the reason why this team is likable, right? I mean, they're defending and they work hard. And that's, you know, that's something. At the beginning of the season, I got asked a lot, was well, this sustainable, right? I mean, are they a flash in the pan? Did they just get off to a nice start? So, you know what? Look at the defensive numbers. Look at where this team is defensively. One thing we know, if you've watched the NBA for a while, if you can play defense, you're going to hang around for a long time. And that is precisely what this team's done. And Jared Allen has been a huge, huge part of it. I will be, if this kid does not make the all-star game this season, that's going to be upsetting to me. It really is. There is Garland. You know, Garland, too, I think, is playing at an all-star level. Now, that position is a little, you know, more full of talent if you look around the East, you look around the entire NBA. In terms of big men, Jared Allen 100% deserves to be there in that All-Star game in Cleveland this season. And don't forget about Mobley either. I mean, yeah. this kid's a leader in the clubhouse in terms of the Rookie of the Year award. Scotty Barnes, to me, is the only player who's even close. Franz Wagner's doing a decent job in Orlando for a team yep. that's struggling. Right? I mean, he's getting a lot of points for a team that needs points, you know, simply put. And Scotty Barnes for pretty good Toronto team is playing well, but nobody's close. I mean, nobody's close to Evan Mobley for anybody who watches him on a you know night to night basis. Uh, at the turn, he's the leader uh, in this race for Rookie of the Year. Well, and that's that was my next thing that I had written down. The awards that right now it feels like there's Cavs leader in the clubhouse situation award for awards kind of all over the map. Uh, if, if Darius Garland isn't in serious contention for Most Improved Player then I don't know what they're even doing with that award because he's been phenomenal. If, if, if Evan Mobley is not the leader in the clubhouse for rookie of the year, if Kevin Love is not probably the leader in the clubhouse for six man of the year or right up there, I mean, like the awards there. But then there's this other guy that I think also is probably going to get named with a certain award. It's J.B. Bickerstaff. And I think a lot of people came into this kind of surprised, like, oh, they're going this big lineup, the whole NBA goes small ball, Cavs are going big. Well, if you paid attention, when J.B. Bickerstaff took over, they went big. And if you paid attention that year, they ended the year on kind of a hot streak. And it kind of worked out. 
And then last year was crazy and and all the COVID stuff and all that. But he kind of returned to that. Watching him work as close as you do and being able to witness everything that he does. What is it about JB that's got the 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 glory, the glowing praise from all of his players? And that makes him so like it's like they want to go out and play hard for him. Well, number one, he's a communicator. Uh, you know, he, he, the lines of communication are open. If you follow this team over, I don't know, the last, what, five, six, seven, eight seasons, that has not always been the case. You know, JB steps in and he's able to open those communication lines. And I think that's what brings in the respect from his players. You know, I love the guy. Mike, you talk about bucking the trend and going big. You know how much moxie that takes? I mean, how much gumption it takes to do that right now? In the NBA, after a couple of, you know, subpar seasons, all right, tell you what, we're coming out, we're doing things my way. I want to be aggressive. I'm going to go big. And, you know, it's a gamble. You roll the dice. It takes a lot of guts. And, boy, it has paid off so far this season. As we talked about, the you know, the defensive numbers and everything else. But uh, I love the guy. I think he's great for this organization on Christmas. Of course, he signed uh, an extension to make him the, the coach of the future for this Cavs team. So uh, I think good things lie ahead. Uh, even Rajon Rondo today talked to the media and he said, I love what I've seen out of JB. He said he's detail oriented, told me what he needs me here to do. Speaking of that signing, by the way, I, you know, again, I think this is what the doctor ordered, right? You need that veteran who can get this team into its offensive sets. Um, you know, Ricky Rubio had been doing that gloriously right through the first um, handful of months in this season and you need somebody else to be able to come off the bench and do that. And, and hopefully Rondo, he seemed Rajan seemed really excited. You know, they said they went to him before the trade and said, what do you think? Like, is this something, an endeavor that you're interested in? And he said he didn't hesitate at all seeing what was going on out here in Cleveland. So I think again, uh, it makes a lot of sense on paper and hopefully it plays out that way. Once Rajan gets on the floor. Now, John, one of the, another reason for so much optimism with this team is you know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like everybody has to be on for this team to win. You know, it, it, it always seems like somebody steps up if someone's having an off night, like Laurie, will ha- you know, won't have the best night, but Kevin will step up. Or, you know, if, if Darius decides, if Darius sees that, you know, he needs to maybe pour in 25 to 30 points because someone's off shooting. Like the, just the, the depth on this team is just incredible, John. Well, Chad, when you consider there are eight players in double figures on this team, eight. <laughs> And Jenny Osmond's averaging nine points, right? So there are nine, nine guys on this team averaging nine points or more, and it's somebody else who can get you every night. And, that you know, you want to talk about it. I mean, that's difficult to game plan for throughout the course of an 82-game season, particularly this year, right, when guys are so much in and out of the lineup. I mean, coaches are dealing – coaches, it's been a nightmare over the last few weeks, right? Hopefully things settle down as they roll forward as teams get whole again. But, man, it's it, – is difficult the game plan for this Cavs team in the course of a busy season for a variety of reasons. One is you have three seven footers that are getting thrown at you. The other is that they are so balanced and they can beat you in so many different ways. I mean, you know, you mentioned Mike Kevin Love coming off the bench. You know, the the front office said we they had a conversation said how can we maximize this guy? And the answer was we're not going to play him a ton. We're going to bring him off the bench. We're going to put him in his spots. And I think a player like Ricky Rubio who was able to open up Kevin for these looks. Have you seen a time where Kevin has gotten so many open looks? 
Never. I mean, you, right. I mean, I'll take you back to the four championship years with a with a LeBron James that everybody was petrified about driving into the lane and kicking out. I mean, that's what the Cavs were all about. I I'd venture to say Kevin's gotten more open looks in the first half of this season than he had in the first half of any of the four championship runs. Um, so, you know, and, and Rubio is a big part of that. And hopefully Rondo, Rondo's a smart guy, by the way. He's going to, I have a feeling he's going to be able to do the exact same thing, get guys in good spots. Jetty Osmond benefited immensely from Ricky Rubio. Jetty not being asked to do too much. Like, look, just come off the bench, hit your spots, hit your shots once you get to your spots, and do what you do on the defense then. Be disruptive. And he's done it very, very well. You know, his, his numbers are up across the board. So it's all, there's a nice, there's a nice synergy to what's happening here. And I truly believe, I think it's authentic. They don't care who leads the team in scoring. They don't. I mean, you look at Jared Allen, he could care less, right? That he has a a double, double streak or that he's averaging a double, double. Like you said about Evan Mobley, Mobley's just playing, right? (laughs) And Darius Garland prefers to pass over to score. He almost, you know, it's almost the second or third option for Garland in terms of scoring and his scoring numbers are way up. So it's, it's worked, right? It's a, it, it's a, it's a formula that's worked. JB always says, be the most aggressive team on the floor, be the most unselfish team on the floor. And I think they've been both virtually in every single contest this whole season. John, I, I don't know how much you talk to him. I, you know, I know you're around the team a lot. You brought up Kevin and you brought up his open shots. But I, I think it's even a little deeper than that. Kevin Love has been very, very open about, he, you know, he's a mental health advocate, and he's been open about his own struggles with that. I have never seen ever, ever in Minnesota or Cleveland, I've never seen him look happier playing the game of basketball than he looks this season. And I think for a guy like him, that matters out on the court. I think, I think it's contributing to how good he's been. I think they didn't want to play him a ton of minutes but he's making them play him a lot more minutes because he's he looks like he's just having the greatest time. Like that's what I when I'm out there looking at this team, I don't see them trudging through games. I see them having a good time. Even in a loss, that loss to Memphis. Memphis is a really good basketball team. And it looked like they, you know, they didn't want to lose, but man, they just they just look like they're having fun playing with each other. Do you get do you think that matters uh whether it's specifically for a guy like Kevin Love or just for the team as a whole? I think it matters a ton. I think it matters more in the NBA. The more you're around the NBA, the more you realize that chemistry and happiness and all of those you know, feel good things, they're not throwaways, man. That's a big, big deal in the NBA, more so than in any sport. I've always said that. Like, you know, in Major League Baseball, if you have a starter that nobody can stand, so what? He goes out there, he wins 20 games there. You have a closer that nobody can stand, he wins, you know, makes 40 saves. Great. Nobody cares. You're out there doing your own thing. You're hitting your field and you're doing whatever. That goes for a lot of different sports, right? Same with football. It's 53 guys, right? You're not going to like everybody. That's really important in basketball. And we've seen examples over the just over the last handful of seasons of teams laden with talent that have gone bust because they can't get along, right? Or they're all they're fighting the priorities are different. Yes, I think, Mike, it is huge. And I think Kevin, I asked Kevin that after the game the other night. I said, you having fun, buddy. He said, and the smile tells it all, right? The ear-to-ear grin. I'm out there. I'm getting my looks. I'm getting my shots. I'm playing with a young bunch that, it, to me, it, you know, it makes, makes him almost feel younger. You know, and I think 
And you go back, let's go back to JV in the front office, right? You need to put this man in a position where he excels. And you couldn't, I don't think you could have done any better than what they've done so far in the first half of the season to be able to get the most out of Kevin. And like I said, I think Kevin, to answer your question, has been having a ball uh, here uh, as we approach the, uh, the middle point of the season. Yeah, it, it, you know, again, you, sometimes you think, oh, maybe that's an overrated thing. Maybe that's a thing I'm just thinking as a fan or a guy that watches. But, yeah, it just feels like they're having a good time. Now let's talk about, real quickly, it has been tough, especially watching a couple guys go down. For me personally, the you know, watching Rubio go down was rough. But Colin Sexton, that one hit me hard because of this reason. Colin Sexton has had these expectations since he started with this team. Because remember, he was the first-round draft pick the year after LeBron left. He was picked before LeBron even left. And then that poor guy getting asked on draft night what it was going to be like to play with LeBron. Uh, uh, and then and, – and, and it always felt like the expectations were, well, he's going to be the next savior of the franchise. And maybe he wasn't necessarily always that guy as much as he's good at scoring the ball and all that. I felt like to begin this year, he was playing the best basketball I had ever seen him play. He wasn't scoring 30 points a night per se. Like there were nights where he was scoring 17, 18 points. But he was the, again, Colin Sexton was working within the flow of this offense. Uh, and, and he was making incredible passes and he was bringing the energy that he is always capable of bringing. So, you know, it, it, looking forward and looking ahead at this team, because who knows what this season's going to bring. But the thought of bringing a guy like Colin Sexton potentially back onto this team and onto this roster, did you kind of get that same vibe watching him at the beginning of the year? Like like he was really fitting in maybe better than it had seemed like he had in the past? It, it seemed like the game was getting easier for him and slowing down in terms of being able to get his teammates involved. And, you know, I mean, everybody – Colin Sexton is one of the most polarizing players since I've been with this organization that there that there is. You know, and I, I he works – so hard. You want to talk, you know, you talk about it hitting you hard. He's this kid, you know, busts his tail and to see him go down, particularly in a year like this, boy, it's heartbreaking, right? It's heartbreaking for the young man. And, you know, obviously we wish him the best. So I, yeah, was it a difficult one to take? It is. I, it, I think it's too early to project Mike, you know, we still have a long way to go in terms of what this team's going to look like. No NBA team looks the same as they do in, in October, as they do in December, as they do in February, as they do in April, either with personnel, maybe even more importantly, how the team is playing, how they're performing together as a cohesive unit. So it's, 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 to me, it's too early to project, but I know that the front office loves that kid. I know that his teammates love that kid. We love him too. And we wish him nothing but the best, you know, in his, his return to form because yeah, boy, he was off to a great start. That was uh, without question, a heartbreaker for a lot of us. So we touched on the Rondo trade, you know, John, and you, you, do, you know, touched on where you thought he would fit in, you know, what type of player he was going to be for this team, you know, basically, basically a perfect replacement for Rubio <laughs> pretty much, you know, and it seems like as a trade deadline approaches that the Cavs are in you know, almost every single trade discussion. Is there any areas uh, as we approach the deadline that you think this team could focus on? It's interesting. It's funny. We hear all of them, Chad, right? All of them. Yeah, 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 we do. We do. <laughs> Every year, right? So we're being around with the, we, we hear so many of those. Uh, I don't know. I, it, that's a, it's an interesting question because from a tough, from a couple of different perspectives, 
One is that you never want to disturb chemistry, right? I mean, this team is rolling like I'm not sure any could have anticipated that it's rolling right now. But, you know, we see a game like you mentioned the Memphis game, right? There are areas in which this team can get better, right? I mean, there are areas in which this team can find maybe a better perimeter defender, maybe a lockdown defender, a lot of different areas, right, where he can get a, a little bit better. Kobe Altman's very good at keeping his finger on the pulse of the NBA, seeing what's out there. If there's a deal that makes sense, he's, you know, and, and let's not forget Dan Gilbert, they're not afraid to be able to pull the trigger. Dan has always given this organization the ability to, if you're going to win a championship, if you're going to make this team better, here's the money, you go and do that. And that, believe me, you know, you talk to other teams and people around the NBA, that is not always the case, right? And that's a lot, that might be more the minority than the majority. And Dan has always been there. That has been solid and steady throughout. Yes. Kobe will tell you the same thing. So if there's a deal to be made, there's something that makes sense, they're going to do it. You know, they might swing. Who knows? They might swing big. They might swing big here uh, in terms of trying to, you know, bring in somebody who can help this team because they are rolling, because they want to capitalize and take advantage of something that feels authentically special right now, you know? So we'll see. And, and as these weeks unfold and as we roll up, we still have some time yep. to the trade deadline. We still have some time to see how this team performs, how other teams perform. That's going to make, you know, that's going to make some decisions here. What plays into it guys is, you know, it was interesting last year was the advent of the play in tournament. Right. Okay? So, you know, more teams think they're alive than than it used to be. Right. And a lot of people thought because, you know, that it would be a, a down year in terms of trades because the cap remained the same. Okay. The cap remained the same because of COVID, right? The revenue wasn't coming in. So the cap usually gradually rises, right? Last year, the cap remained the same. Many were projecting at the beginning of the season that it would be a down year for trades. In fact, they set the record for like the last four decades last year because everybody thought they were still alive, right? They were making deals all over the place in the NBA. And it was fun, right? That's part of what makes the NBA fun, right? Free agency time, trade deadline time, people change addresses, teams there's only five guys on the floor, right? Teams can look vastly different than they did before the trade deadline. So it's, I think that's part of what's made it so interesting and part of why when you hear the rumors, it's a, again, it's a little early to project. Yeah, could they use some? Yeah, are there areas in which they could use some work? There are. And I think Kobe's not afraid to pull the trigger if something reasonable presents itself where he can maintain the chemistry that we've seen so far this season. Well, I think that's the important note is maintaining that chemistry because, you know, it's that thing that I battle with as a fan, as somebody who just loves the team, right, is, man, I love the way this team is playing. And so the thought of saying, hey, we're going to take this guy and send him here for this guy, I'm like, ah, ah, I don't know if I want to do any of that. But at the same time, am am I ready to say the Cavs right now in a seven-game series are ready to beat Milwaukee? Nah, probably not. I mean, not saying they couldn't. But I'm not necessarily ready to say that they will. Am I ready to say, oh, the Cavs are ready to make that push to the finals? Maybe not. So if there's a trade out there that could bring in somebody that, like, bolsters that position, yeah, why why, why not approach that? I always say this, Mike. If you feel that as a fan, 
take a guess what the GM and the front right, office, right. right? I mean, think this thing, right? They they probably feel that just as much, if not a little bit more. I think if anybody's played fantasy football, you know the feeling in your gut. <laughs> Pick the wrong guy, and so you watch this other person who took somebody behind you, and they're rolling, and it hurts every Sunday. It it hurts so much. Think if that was your life, right? I mean, these guys. This is what they do for a living. Right? If you pick the wrong guy, if you drafted the wrong guy, and time and time again watch this other player succeed, right? They they're feeling this. Is my point. They're feeling the same thing. Like, and I you're. Your point, I don't mean to, you know, say that that you're exactly right. Right. And that's I think that, that's a sentiment around this organization that we've everybody has embraced. Right. They're so excited about the chemistry as we've talked, you know, for the last handful of minutes that, that, that where this team is going to something special. And, you know, right. They're not dying to disrupt what they've built and what it's not. This is not something that's happened overnight. Let's remember this. This is something that's been building for the last two seasons which were not particularly pleasant, right? You need to go through that sometimes to get here. And they, they know how long this has taken and you don't want to blow something up, right? Just to, just to hopefully try to swing something big and, and try to make it run. Yeah. The only, yeah. The only difference is this isn't the broad street ballers taking on the, uh, <laughs> the whatever, I don't know what, whatever you're, whatever team you're taking on in a week matchup, but the NBA, it's fun. Yeah, and listen, it, uh, one of my last questions for you, John, before we let you get out of here, and we appreciate all the time you've given us here. One of my last questions, again, depth is going to matter. You brought in Rondo. I've got my thoughts on Rondo. I think it's a great replacement. I think he's different than Rubio. I think, I think Rubio's a little bit more of a creator of offense as far as scoring the ball than Rondo. But I think Rondo is a player that, and this is not meant to be a knock on Rubio, I think Rondo is a player that plays a little bit more in control. Uh, Rubio... As great as he was, and I don't mean to make a knock on this, he could be a little turnover happy at certain points because uh, he likes to make special crazy plays. Uh, uh, so, you know, we, we, we're going to have that come in, but you're going to need some other guys to step up. You got to get Jetty Osman back. Obviously, a Coro out for a couple weeks, but then you get him back. But some other guys are going to have to step up. Are there any of these guys that you see on the bench? We saw it. I, I thought Dylan Windler played a pretty decent basketball game the other night against Memphis. Uh, you know, you've got Dean Wade sitting there towards the end of the bench, you got Lamar Stevens who's been defensively very good uh, off the bench. Uh, and then, of course, everybody's favorite player on the planet is Taco Fall. Uh, are there any of these guys that you see that you kind of get excited about when you watch them out on the court or watch them in practice or whatever that you think, you know, maybe one of these towards the end of the bench guys can come in and make a big impact on this team? What's crazy, Mike, is that it seems on a game-to-game basis like it's somebody different, right? I mean, it. I'm assuming it seems that way for fans. Yeah. We are like, well, which guy's going to step up tonight? And somebody usually does. I like losing a Coro is a, a bit of a problem, right? I mean, we know that a Coro, you stick a Coro on the top scorer for the other team, perimeter wise, and you're he's going to make life hard, you know, right? That player might score, but he's going to make life difficult. That's a loss. That's a big loss. Now, Lamar has that same blue collar mentality to be able to get after. That's what I like about Stevens. I think he fits this team in terms of that, you know, that blue collar work ethic. I love, it was so nice to see Dylan Windler contribute in that Memphis game. And he's, you know, I mean, we know the story with Dylan. He's been injured a number of times. You feel for the kid. He'd gone down and played for the charge in the NBA G League just to get some reps Uh, and to see him, you know, hit a couple of big shots, make some nice plays in that Memphis game. I think that bodes well 
obviously for playing time for him, but also for this team. Dean Wade's been a Swiss Army knife. I mean, you can throw him in at the three, the the four. I mean, I, I thought for a moment he was going to start at the two the other <laughs> night. You know, in terms of some of the things we've been dealing with, with, with uh, the protocols and everything else. So it's a nice mix. It's a nice mix. You know, but again, if you're talking about, you know, can you maybe bring in somebody else to fortify that bench? That might be something you do, right? I mean, there are some players who might be out there at the deadline who are available. Yeah, that's something you think about. And and Taco's been a joy uh, to fans and to the organization alike. Uh, just to see the big man out there. I like JB early in the season, uh, I think with two seconds remaining in a quarter or in the ballgame or something, put Taco out there uh, to disrupt the inbounds pass. And, and it, I mean, it almost turned into a steal and it almost worked. So, uh He's sitting over there. He's ready to go. Uh, and he's been a great teammate, great young man. Uh, I, I think a great get for this organization. So, uh, like I said, it's a good bunch. I think, Mike, it depends upon a, a nightly basis, night-to-night basis, who's going to step up. And uh, we'll see who steps up uh, in the next game on Friday night. Let's go. I love it. I, I'm, I'm sure you wish you could be there in yeah. that game, but not traveling yet, right? That's correct. And we're not going on this, uh, this six-game road trip coming out. We've been calling the games from our studios uh, in downtown Cleveland at Ballet uh, Sports Ohio. So out of an abundance of caution. So uh, we, we wait patiently for when, uh, hopefully when and if we can get back on the road this season. Well, you know, whether you're in the arenas or whether you're in Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, uh, it's a pleasure to listen to you. Obviously, it's, it's no offense to you, but it's way more fun to listen to you when the team's playing like they have this season. Uh, and so we love that. But uh, John Michael, man, this has been awesome. It's been fun digging into the Cavs with you a little bit, uh, your perspective, and, uh, and just getting to know you a little bit. Uh, we, uh, we really appreciate the time you've given us, and hopefully one day we can do this again with you. I agree, guys. This was fun. Thank you so much for the invite. Happy New Year. And, uh, hey, you know where to find me. Uh, I'm here if you want to do this again. And once again, a humongous thank you goes out to the TV play-by-play voice for Bally Sports Ohio for the Cleveland Cavaliers, John Michael. Go follow him on Twitter, at CavsJMike, CavsJMike. What a nice dude. Uh, It was kind of fun. We got to talk to him a little bit before we went on. He's kind of in the same boat as Chad and I. He's got an 8-year-old and a 5-year-old running around the house there. Uh, uh, So he's got young kids, got the young family, just kind of like we do, and... uh, Man, J. Mike's a guy that I could just crack open a few beers with and talk about basketball or hockey or whatever for hours and hours and hours. Cannot tell you how much we appreciate the time he gave us tonight. Just a real chilled out, like just laid back guy, man. It feels like he could, you know, it feels like anything you brought up, he would have a story for it. So like, it, just a, a really fun time to have on the podcast. So it was, it was good. It was good. And I, every time I hear him, I just I I only wanted him though to talk in the same voice that he used when he gave he has a legendary call when Kyrie Irving hit the shot in the playoff or in the finals to give the Cavs the lead over the Warriors in the game they would eventually win to win the title that call man from from John Michael was spectacular when he he knocked it down oh so good goosebump worthy call uh, so John Michael again huge thank you to him for taking the time to come in and talk some Cavs. And again, the team that we all want to talk about right now is the Cavs. So you got to love it uh, that we were able to pretty much have a whole episode on that. Now we're going to transition over to a team that nobody wants to talk about. Literally a team that we're all talking about, but that we could all probably use a vacation from. And that is the Cleveland Browns. 
And after yep. next week, we will get a vacation from them. And thank God we will, because <laughs> after this year, I'd rather I'd rather have work extend hours <laughs> than have to go through any more of what we've gone through. <laughs> uh, so, Chad, let's let's take it back real quick. Uh, the Cleveland okay. Browns. Uh, we'll take it back to the Monday yeah. Night Football game. The, in my opinion, the worst football game they played all season. Uh, uh-huh. An absolute atrocity. And again, yeah. I think I was probably a little hard the night of because I was emotional. Uh, but sure. Uh, but I will still say, and I and I'll still give credit where it's due. It's a it's a Pittsburgh Steelers team playing in Pittsburgh, and until they suck. I don't know why we talk about it like, oh, we should go get a win in Pittsburgh. Until Pittsburgh sucks, I, I, I don't know why we talk about, oh, we should beat Pittsburgh. We should beat them. They don't suck, and, and they just have the number, right? Which they do, though. They do suck this year, Mike. But it, it, And it's, it's – it's, okay, I mean, they're not like bottom of the league suck. Well, they're probably going to finish with a winning record. But in my – but in – well, the uh, – I don't know. I mean, they have to beat Baltimore for that. Yeah, but right? you know, you know Lamar Jackson's not going to play in that game. Well, I mean, Tyler Huntley has, I don't know. Well, I mean, that's a conversation for a different time. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It yeah. kind of feels like Tyler Huntley's a little bit of a quarterback. But, but Mike, I mean, this year, it's – I know you said until they suck, but, it, like, this year, it just felt like there hasn't been a year since they've come – the Browns have come back into the league where the Steelers haven't – and Big Ben, where the Steelers and Big Ben – haven't been more beatable than they have been this year. Like, oh, no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. No doubt. But, 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 but it's, it's that organization. And it's, it's what we, it's what I've talked about. It's what I, I, we've been doing a lot of stuff with the OBR. And I said this when I was with them this last week, the Steelers and the Ravens, it feels like it takes an act of God to like knock them out. They've been so good for so long. Yeah. Even listen, this is like the down Steelers year and there's still a chance they're going to win nine games. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the worst yeah. case scenario for the Steelers, is they go eight, eight and one. That's their right. worst case scenario. Uh, the Ravens, it took it took every injury to everybody to bring them down. They've been so right. good for so long. And for the Browns, it feels the polar opposite. They've been so, but the same, the opposite, but the same, Chad. They've been so bad for so long that an act of God needs them, needs to happen for them to really be good. And so I don't, you know, I don't know why we talk about the Steelers like, oh, this is the year we're going to take. I'm not going to say next year. I don't even care if Mason Rudolph is the quarterback next year. I'm not saying it anymore. I'm not doing that anymore because you just got swept by the Steelers this year. In the year that that it should have been the easiest year to beat them, you got swept. That game just felt so lifeless from ev- from everybody on that offense. The defense still played hard. The defense has been playing hard, and they've been playing really, really well for the last what five, six, seven weeks. Yeah. It feels like they've just. It feels like this defense has just gotten gradually better and better as the year has gone on. But but that offense, man, that offensive effort had just felt absolutely lifeless. There was no energy, no fight. There was just. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, Baker hanging his head. And I don't know, missing open guys again. And I it just, I don't know. It just felt like there, it just felt like the, the, it felt like the offense mailed it in. 
It did. It, I'm going to say it. It felt like the offense mailed in. I know they didn't. I know they're professionals. I know they're trying, but it just felt just there was no life to that at all. And I'm surprised we even scored 14 points, to be well, honest with you, with the way they were playing. And I saw it right at the beginning of the game, and you're right, Chad. I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think Baker has that built into him. I don't think Baker has lifeless built into him. I think Baker goes out there and tries his ass off. But right at the beginning of the uh, of the game, I went, oh, no. And it, and, it, and, it, and it's it's a guy that I have been very critical of, and I think deservedly so, Austin Hooper. <laughs> Two drop passes on the first drive. That, yeah. That just killed the, the, you know, any momentum that the Browns could have even potentially built at the beginning of the game. Austin Hooper goes out there and stone hands two balls and, 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 and that's it. And, and from there it was just all Steelers the whole game. And I don't know, man, it just, you know, I think the first thing that we got to talk about, I want to talk about a couple things. I don't want to spend an hour talking about the Browns, but I think we got to talk about a couple things. I think Baker Mayfield is the first thing to talk about. Right. Baker Mayfield has been announced since then. It's been announced that he has been shut down. <laughs> yeah. Which Something I know that should happen week five. I know a lot of people are saying it should have happened earlier, but I, I think you're. I think everybody that's like, why are they doing it? Why didn't Why didn't they do it earlier? I think they're all being a little naive as to what that process actually looks like. And I think when he gets cleared by the doctors, and then Baker Mayfield comes to the coaches and said, "I'm good to go. Let's go. I'm I, I'm banged up, but I'm good to go." You're going to play Baker Mayfield, like if he's cleared by the doctors. And that they give him the green light, and then he gives it the green light. You're gonna play him. That's that is what that is gonna be. And and it may be for a lot of reasons, guys. It may be for a because they say he's good to go, and he says he's good to go, so you play him. It may be because you want to get a look at him, and you're like, what 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 are we gaining from getting a look at Case Keenum? Although you had a better chance to win games, I'm sure. Uh, Some of them. Some yeah, of them, for sure. Least. For sure. Uh, yeah. uh, but there's a lot of reasons for it. I don't want to go too deep into that. Uh, but this this was a nightmare. This is nightmare scenario for the Browns with Baker Mayfield. Because, like I've said before, Chad, a guy that you've already given a contract to, you would write this year off as an injury year. He probably wouldn't have played as much as he did. Yep. If if yep. they had, ex- let's say they had extended Baker last se- offseason season. And then the injury happened. He probably would have been sad after like week five or six. Uh, And nobody would have said anything about it. He got hurt. It is what it is. But because that extension doesn't exist, you needed to see Baker Mayfield do something this year. And I'm uh, here. We are Baker Mayfield season is over and due to the injury. And then some other things that I'll talk about. Baker didn't show you anything. No, not nothing positive. He showed you nothing no. positive. A toughness, but toughness doesn't win football games. There's a lot of tough football. Every football player is tough. Every football right. player is tough. There is not and, one not tough football player out there. And every football player on that roster, may, granted, maybe not as serious, every football player on that roster, especially near the end of the season, is playing through some sort of injury. Correct. Okay, whether it's reported or not, they're playing through some sort of injury. So what do you do, Chad? Like, I Listen, listen. I, I I know he's under contract for next year. They they picked up the option. So he's going to play next year. But, like, what's it going to take? For you to be comfortable, Chad, for you to be comfortable with them extending Baker Mayfield, what would he have to do next year? 
<laughs> it's going to take it, it's going to take this excuse me it's going to take this offensive line coming back healthy and dominating at the line of scrimmage again which is something they didn't do in a lot of football games this year you know it, uh, how many times did we see this you know how many times last year did we see the offensive line and the running game it kind of struggled in the first half of games but ended up imposing their will and allowing Chubb and Hunt in the second half of football games to rip off 8 9 10 12 yards a carry that just that, that that just didn't happen this year, you know. I, I think I think the receiving room needs a revamp. I don't know if Jarvis Landry is going to be here next year as much as I love him, but I I think there was enough, you know, receiving and maybe even tight end a couple of tight ends because th- I think there was enough drop passes this year. Yeah, Baker did miss some open guys, but there were times when Baker there were a lot of times when Baker did hit open guys and there were a lot of drop passes. So I think the receiving room, tight end room, needs a revamp. And, and as from a from a Baker standpoint, the only the only person I the only person I'm not touching is Chubb and Hunt. <laughs> that, that's it. That's the only person I'm not ch- uh, touching is Chubb and Hunt. But as from from a Baker standpoint, obviously, you know, the first thing is get healthy. But the second thing, I, I I'm working on footwork. I'm working on mechanics. I'm working on. I, I have no idea. I have no idea if you can simulate this uh, well in the off season. But I I think you need to work on uh as best you can work on working under pressure uh you know i think that's that's it's just all encompassing for me for for baker to be successful it just baker seems like a quarterback where everything around him needs to be working well for him to for him to play well and 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 it shows and it shows like when he when he faces adversity when he faces adversity he hasn't been able to pull himself out mike but Chad, that's that was the thing. That was that was his thing. That's right. that's that's the thing that scares me a little bit. That was Baker's right. thing. Was when yeah. when when I got the chip on my shoulder, I'm going to prove everybody wrong. When I right. got when I'm facing adversity, that's when I do my best. Well, that listen. Let's be real honest about something here. Let's be real honest. Baker Mayfield has now played in the NFL for four seasons. Right. One and a half of those seasons were really good. Right, sure. Two and a half weren't. Yeah. And and there's uh-huh. other things going on, right? Listen, we're not stupid here, and Baker shouldn't Baker shouldn't be viewed in the same lens as somebody like Tom Brady or whatever, where it was ultimate stability. Right? Baker should get a little benefit of the doubt in that in that he had three head coaches in like two years and consistent change at offensive coordinator, which meant consistent change in scheme. And there was a lot he had to deal with and he, and, and overcome. And he should certainly get a benefit of the doubt for his injuries this year. We should, yeah. it's hard to pull yourself out of the emotion of talking about Baker Mayfield. Like he's healthy. He wasn't healthy. Sure. A torn labrum sure. is a major injury. That's sure. not just some stupid little thing. It's it's not like he had a chipped tooth. He had a torn labrum. Sure. And it may have been his non-throwing shoulder, but I still think, and I said this from the time that injury happened, I think that shoulder hurt when he got hit, and he didn't want to get hit. So he played with the yips all season because he didn't want to get hit. So I, I like sure. my thing is he should be viewed fairly. He should be viewed fairly where, where, where I think – something needs to be said. Like it's, it's well documented that like Baker's had a couple like of those like QB gurus, like, like 
coaches that have offered to work with him and he's declined it. There's no more decline than that, my man. No, like you're not in that position. You better, you better do that. But that, but, but I want to go back to something that you just said, Mike is, is, is uh, you know, yeah, he, he was clearly hurt. It sucked. He didn't want to get hit, you know? And, and I think part of that, part of that season, excuse me, <laughs> whew, I'm on my like six beer. Cause I'm trying to get drunk so I can warm up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, part of part of that fault falls on Baker because he is quoted as saying earlier in the season, Michael, like shortly after he got hurt, it's my decision to play. If I feel like I'm at a point where I'm hurting the team, I feel like I'm at a point where I'm hurting the team. I, I will sit. I will sit. And he never did, Mike. And you just saying he had the yips all season does nothing but point to the fact that yeah, he was hurting the team. He should he should have been sitting. He should have got healthy. I agree. I agree. But but I also do think I think very much the decision was a major part was him. And you yeah. can be mad at that all you want, but I think that's when you have a guy that's a franchise quarterback, that's how you treat him. If Tom Brady walks into Bruce Arians' office or, or Bill Belichick's office and says, I'm playing, you play him. And again, I, Baker Mayfield is not Tom Brady. Don't think I'm saying that. Right. But if, you, if, that's your, if your franchise quarterback says, I'm playing, you play your franchise quarterback. And uh, you know what? The fun, and the funny thing is, Mike, I think these injuries were a bit of a blessing for him this year. Because if he, ha- I think if he had... This type, I think the injuries bought him another year because I think if he was healthy this year and he had this type of year, I think he was. I think he's as good as gone. I think he's as good as gone if he has this type of year when he's healthy. Now I will say this: I don't think he. I don't think he does have that kind of year if he's healthy. I, I, I he, remember he started the year really well. He sure, started the year sure. really well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you can say that. I'm just. I'm. I'm just saying. I think the injuries. God, the wind is picking up out here. Uh, <laughs> The hard thing, Chad, the hard thing, I still want to say I think Baker can be the guy. Sure. I still want to say that. Where I have an issue with it is I now have two and a half seasons of him looking like not the guy in four years. Right. Whether it's right. injuries or coaching changes or whatever, I have of through four years, I have two and a half of those four years where he doesn't look like the guy. So you know what's going to be interesting then to play off of that is say he gets healthy and he has just an absolute elite year next year, has a great year next year. Okay, that's great. But if you look at the whole body of work, and we've talked about this before, Mike, it's still been a roller coaster. So it's still going to be, I think it's still going to be a tough decision for this organization next year even if he goes out and still has a good year next year. No, I see. I disagree. I think if he goes out and has a good year, start to finish, every quarterback has bad games here or there. Sure. Right? Sure. So that's not what we're talking about, but start to finish a year where you look at that and go, cool. That's the Baker Mayfield. We want to see. That's the guy sure. that's out there that we want to see. You sign him immediately. You sign him immediately. If he can put it together for a full season in year five in a pressure situation like that, you sign him because then all this other noise is like, I don't know if we can get anybody better. Sure. And and then you hope that you build on it. But, but the other thing, Chad is we've talked about a lot of this stuff that that's probably a good reason to question Baker or, or, or or, I'm sorry, a good kind of excuse for Baker and valid, but there are some scary things there. Mm -hmm. Baker Mayfield's footwork Mm -hmm. was some of the worst in the NFL this year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't know how much the labrum 
issue has to do with it. But, like, go back to that Green Bay game. That interception he overthrew Jarvis Landry on, he threw the ball to the right side of the field, and his feet were pointed to the left. What were you doing? He's not stepping into throws. He's sailing everything. It's the injury or not, even with the injury, it feels like it's too easy for him to do that. You know, you know what I mean? Like it, sure. it, it feels like that's his natural, like bail on a throw type type of deal. Right. He, he does. It doesn't feel like he's trying to fight through an injury to get his footwork. Right. It feels like it's too natural for him to bail on stuff. And that is terrifying. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, that's another thing we talked about, Mike. There's there's some things that Baker did this year that, you know, that the injuries don't really matter. And part of it is footwork. Another part of it is decision making, you know, and, and it was it was affected a lot this year. It was affected a lot this year because it, he didn't work well under pressure. And this was and this was really the first year of his career that he got pressured a lot. And ever since that Chicago game, when he got sacked, what, five, six times, it just, he was rattled and he just never able to pull himself out. So yeah, his footwork uh, and his decision-making have been, have been way off ever since, ever since these injuries happened. Yeah. So listen, the Baker Mayfield thing is going to be the story for the Browns. And again, how do we get here? How are we back here talking about the quarterback being the story? But we are here. There's yeah, another place sure. where I'm confused is how did we get back here? And there's this growing sentiment of Browns fans that are unhappy with Kevin Stefanski. Which is stupid. I'm not in that boat. Are we? Can we agree no. on that? Uh-huh. Yeah, don't, don't with Kevin Stefanski. First of all, there's a couple things I'm going to say. First of all, if you're one of the people – who immediately goes to, well, he just needs to stop calling the plays and focusing on being a head coach. You, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you don't know what you're, it's, it's a default. Anytime the Browns hire an offensive head coach and he calls the plays, the default is when things go wrong, you scream that he shouldn't be calling the plays. Kevin Stefanski, nothing is out there to say that he had an issue with making good decisions in game while also calling the plays. I know people are starting to get frustrated with him going, especially earlier in the year, going for it on fourth down when they weren't converting, but that was execution. I I don't really blame the decision-making as much as I do the execution. Uh, I think Kevin Kevin Stefanski is a fantastic coach. The other thing is, and Chad, I don't know if you've been seeing this on Twitter and stuff. Kevin Stefanski speaks coach speak. Yeah. <laughs> when he goes into a press conference and he gets interviewed, he answers in coach speak. And then, especially over the last three weeks or so, all of Brown's Twitter erupts in anger because he's not giving us answers. No coach ever gives you answers in press conferences, ever. I don't. What are you guys watching? Like, if you're listening to this and you find yourself yelling that Kevin Stefanski is just doing coach speak and you want him to give answers, what are you watching? Right. What coach have you ever seen go up there and, like, give answers? What, like, you do realize there's repercussions in the locker room. If Kevin Stefanski goes up and goes, well, our quarterback sucked and uh, uh, our right tackle was hopeless and... Uh, even a running back didn't play a great game. You realize there's repercussions in the locker room to that, right? 
Right. You don't go out there and throw guys. <laughs> you go out there and just say what you need to say to get through the press conference. Like, I don't know. I still, I still have 100% faith in Kevin Stefanski. Yeah. 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 I mean, you go from coach of the year last year, uh, you go from coach of the year last year to, yeah. Did he struggle at times this year with some things? Absolutely. But you know what? You know what? He still is going to end up at worst seven and 10 this year. How many years have we ended up four and 12, three and 13, you know, five and 11, just because the coaches suck. So th- this coach has still led this team to da- a damn near 500 team. And they very well couldn't end up finishing the year eight and nine on Sunday with all these Bengals players being out, but, but still uh, worthy again, everybody expects a, a, a coach, a, you know, a quarterback to be perfect. And they're just, they're just not, they're just not, you know, I know we just got done talking about, you know, Baker and, and all the stuff that he does wrong, but there's, there's definitely some things that Baker can do well. And, and coach Stefanski, just because he's only in his second year, <laughs> as coach just because one bad year does not merit you know uh, well it's not even a bad year one mediocre year i guess yeah. does not merit does not merit a firing after he was just coach of the fucking year okay you know yes there's something there's some things to improve he can run it back but you know as far as the play calling goes he was playing with an injured quarterback all year he was playing without you know uh, two healthy starting tackles this year. Did he coach scared? Did he coach panic? Sure. I think there were some situations where he coached scared and coached panic, but right, he's also, this is only his second year of ever being a head coach. He deserves the chance to improve on it. So I also think I, Chad, I think he coached this year a lot like he coached last year. There were just differences last year. They executed and this year they didn't those fourth down plays that you and I have debated ad nauseum. They executed those last year. They didn't execute them this year. So I, I think the Browns, they just didn't convert the little things this year like they did last year. They just didn't yeah. do the little things this year like they did last year. And, and, and so that's the life of a coach. I'm telling you, you watch these games. Go watch our buddy Jake Burns do film breakdowns. Sure. And look at the, look at the you know, we're screaming about the play calling. Look at the open players that were out on the field that Baker just didn't see. Or sure. look at Baker make the right read and then throw the ball directly into TJ Watts' hand and it gets batted sure. down. Sure. Those aren't bad play calls. Those are good play calls that yeah. don't get executed out on the field. It, the coach's job is to put the players into position to succeed. And and don't be don't be naive. A coach can't just pull up three plays and be like run the ball to Nick Chubb. You have to play a balanced offense out there. And so but he never did. But he, he did didn't. a lot. Yes, he did. A lot. No. Yes, no, he, he did. did. How many times, how many times this year has Baker thrown the ball 35 times or more? And then you saw Chubb or Hunt get 12 touches. It wasn't a balanced offense. I think you uh, no, no, it was balanced in terms of I, I think I think one thing that people because I saw him do it a lot, Baker might throw the ball 30 times. And Chubb would have 14 runs, and Hunt would have 12, or Dearness Johnson would have 14. That's pretty balanced. That's pretty balanced. You're just, it's not, it's not 30 uh, passes for Baker and 30 runs for Chubb. You have Hunt and you have Dearness Johnson. 
So it's not just how many times did Baker pass versus how many times did Chubb run. It's how many times did Baker pass versus how many times did they run the ball. And it was more balanced than anybody wants to or, or cares to think. And, okay. and I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. I saw this all over all over Twitter today, and I agree with this. Sorry, but the days of just saying we're going to give our running back the ball 25 times in a game, that's not how football is anymore. No, no, no Nobody no. does that. No, it's not. There's, there's, there's the, the, the workhorses are few and far between. But oh, I'm also, we've got, we, we've I'm also got freezing. I'm also done arguing because I'm freezing. <laughs> oh, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. So, so, so the week or the season ends this week Sunday yep. at home against Cincinnati. The NF or the AFC North champion, Cincinnati Bengals, and. Uh, unless a couple things go right for the Steelers, the only team out of the AFC North that's going to make the postseason, the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, uh, they're not playing pretty much anybody. The Browns are going to play pretty much everybody except for Baker. Um, does it does it does it matter? No, no. I mean, I guess I mean if you're a professional athlete, if you're on the team, yeah, sure, it matters because you you know you're playing for pride. You want to go out there, go out finish the season with a win. Yeah, absolutely. But it shouldn't matter to really anybody else because it's, it's doesn't really, there's, there's nothing that goes about it. I mean, you, 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 you get maybe a a spot or two up or down in the draft. That's about it. Yeah. That's really it. I mean, it's uh, go ahead. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, I was just going to say, we'll do a, uh, we'll get into a kind of a Brown season in review next, uh, next week on episode 99. But, uh, yeah, it's just been, you know, it's it's like I said at the top of when we started discussing the Browns, Chad. It feels like it feels like the world needs to reverse rotation for the Browns to be good. They came into this year with everything in front of them, and they were disappointing from the beginning. Uh, whether it's giving up the lead in Kansas City or not being able to figure out defense until five weeks into the season. And then once you figured out defense, you couldn't figure out offense and the injuries and COVID. It felt like everything needed to reverse course and it just didn't. What are you laughing at? Sorry. I, I, I'm just noticing, Mike, it's so cold out here. I don't know if you can see this, but like ice chips are forming on the yes. neck of beer, beer bottle. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, Browns, and Bengals Sunday, uh, last game of the year for the Browns, and then we shelve them until it's time to start talking about free agency and stuff like that in March. Uh, but that's going to pretty much do it for us. We are going to get into our last segment of the week, and that last segment of the week is always our three cheers of the week. So, Chad Meyer, I know you're dying to get inside, so I'm going to let you start us off. What is your cheer of the week? Dude, my cheer goes out to whoever the lady was in Kuwait City that was just carrying a fucking lion down the street. What? Have you seen that? No. Have you seen that online video? No. Dude, apparently, apparently it is legal in Kuwait to have lions as pets. Like full-fledged lions. Why would and apparently, and apparently, this lion. I don't know. I don't know. Do you have kitty doors in your homes for lions? <laughs> like how you have dog doors? But apparently this lion escaped and they found it down the street. And this lady goes, oh, better go get my lion. And she like finds it in someone's backyard. And there's this video of her. She has it like 
she has her arms wrapped around its like upper legs and it's just growling as she's just carrying it down the street and back to the house. Like, oh my God, how dare you? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Joy Chiz goes out to her because why? I, I don't know. I wouldn't have the fucking balls to own a lion as a pet. That's badass. That's badass. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm going to also be international with my cheer of the week. Uh, and I am going to cheer a lady named Stephanie Matto. Who... <laughs> <laughs> I read this. I read this. It's amazing. Now it came to light. She had a health scare, so she had to stop doing this. But Stephanie Matto was a uh, a star of the show 90 Day Fiance. And Stephanie has been making a living recently selling her own farts in a jar for a thousand dollars a pop. <laughs> And she was making like fifty thousand U.S. dollars a week, a week, selling oh, her man. farts in a jar. She was selling them for a thousand dollars a piece. People are freaks. Seven <laughs> seven hundred and fifty eight pounds per jar, which is a thousand dollars per jar of fart. And she has been been earning. So that's like 50,000 U.S. dollars a week. Yeah. (laughs) Selling her own gas in a mason jar that she would just send off. Now, I'm sorry. I know there's not a lot of talent that goes into that. Other than she was like, I bet if I fart into this jar and bottle it up, I can sell it on the Internet and make money from it. And she did. And not only did she make money, but she was making 50K a week, making <laughs> millions of dollars every year by selling her own toots on the internet. Uh, you know what? Listen, shout out to her for, for, for what she was able to do. A, we're in the wrong business. B, uh, I, you got to respect that process. I mean, how quickly do you have to put the jar on that lid so the stank doesn't get out? I mean that's a fifty thousand that's a fifty thousand dollar fart in a jar. I mean that's the most that's like go that's golden farts. Listen, if I knew that that was an option with the beers that we drink on Wednesday nights doing this podcast, do you have any idea what my Thursdays are like? I know. I could be right? mass producing farts in a jar Dude, all day tomorrow. All day you'd tomorrow. Have all, you'd have to do inventory control because you'd have so many <laughs> fart jars. I we'd be running low on the supply chain of mason jars over here, uh, but yeah, Stephanie, shout out to you for just becoming a millionaire selling farts in jars on the internet. So, Chad, that's how three cheers are supposed to go. I feel like you're carrying, you got a lady carrying a lion, and I got a lady selling farts for millions uh, on the internet. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Those are our cheers of the week. Again, our third cheer because it's called three cheers of the week. Chad and I, and my third cheer of the week goes to Joe. Because he wasn't be able to join us for this episode, so cheers to you, Joe. Uh, and we'll he's, hopefully he's get you doing back important on. work. He's doing important work. Important work for Joe Whalen. Uh, but yes. that's going to do it for us. Uh, as always, we've got some thank yous to send out. Uh, first, thank you goes out to the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Go check out Belly Up Sports; they host our podcast. Our next thank you goes out to our very special guest, John Michael, the play-by-play voice. For the television side of things on Bally Sports Ohio for the Cleveland Cavaliers, J. Mike was amazing, gave us great insight, great info, 
And he shared a little bit about, about his own life, and he's a very, very likable guy. We are very lucky to have him calling games here in Cleveland for the Cavaliers. Thank you to J. Mike. Go follow him on Twitter, at CavsJMike. And as always, our last thank you goes out to you, the listener, episode 98. Guys, we're getting very close to where we're going to start announcing these special guests for episode 100. And they are, we're not exaggerating. When we're talking, I, yeah. I said it on Twitter. These are Mount Rushmore level people for so far the Blue Jackets and the Browns, and we'll see where that goes right. after that. Mount Rushmore level. No exaggeration. You do right. not want to miss this. So get over to our social media pages at the Garage Beers on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us on Facebook. Get on our TikTok. You do not want to miss those announcements. We're getting ready to make those announcements pretty soon, but uh, that's going to do it for us. Cheers to you, the listeners. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Uh, For Chad over there on the east side, for Joe down in Nashville, Tennessee, I am Michael Keefe saying this has been episode 98, and we'll see you next week, episode 99. Cheers, everybody. (laughs) 